Uh, today we're going to be talking about um, the ruling authorities and this concept of justice. Um, and I've got a quote right off the bat that I'm going to uh, share with you. Uh, it's from this guy named Arthur Williams, and he says this. He says, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the government, the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. Very interesting phrase. Um, quote, I should say. Uh, human history since the fall of Adam really has been one long uh, story of suffering, injustice, turmoil, death, war. Uh, if you read, we're going, we're going through the book of Genesis. Uh, we haven't even got to Genesis 3 yet, but when you get to Genesis 4, you're kind of like, oh man, can this get any worse? And then it gets worse. And then you're like, could this even get more worse? And then it gets more worse. And the more you go on, you realize humanity stinks. Humanity is the worst. Uh, whether we're talking about violent revolutions like the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, uh, the conquests of Sennacherib in the ancient world as he rode his chariots over the top of people, or whether we're talking about the Armenian genocide in Turkey where millions of people were killed at the hands of tyrannical governments, the hand of every single huge injustice across all human history, there's almost always been a bloody, tyrannical government. What we have in Australia, I want you guys to recognize this, is not normal. This isn't what we have right now. This is not the normal way of life. This has not been the normal way of life for humanity across all of human history. Uh, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about justice in a world that was very unjust. In a world where kings would oppress those they ruled over. Uh, justice is a hot topic today. Uh, in, in our political world. You would hear the phrase justice all the time, but you'd usually hear it, another word kind of tacked on the front of it. You may hear uh, social justice, climate justice, racial justice, sexual justice, economic justice. Uh, we hear the word justice so much with something tacked on the front that we kind of forget the meaning of the word entirely. We don't even know what it means anymore. And whenever we perceive something is not right, humans always cry out, for injustice, uh, cry out for justice. We all seem to have this kind of like innate desire for justice, don't, don't you think? A problem begins to arise, we see problems everywhere, and we cry out for justice. Will someone make this right? So we're going to be looking at this kind of chain of this linked chain of justice that we see all throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're going to follow its thread. Uh, it's a central concern when it comes to the ruling authorities that they rule with justice. You can see it right off the bat. Book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 1, 1 to 3, basically tells us what this book is about. And it says this, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, and then these last three things, in righteousness, justice, equity. Now, we see right off the bat that it's um, the Proverbs of Solomon, the king of Israel. This is words of wisdom coming from a king going to his sons. Who are the sons of the king? Princes, people who will one day 
have to rule. And one of them will rule in his place. If you know your Bible history, more than one will eventually rule in his place. And we see these three phrases, righteousness, justice, and equity. And we, read, we hear those and we, man, we go, man, how good would it be to get all those three things? Even in our society, and we have it so good here. The leaders of Israel have to become wise so they can produce these things. The first one, righteousness. These sons of Solomon must live moral, upright lives. Next one, justice. They need to ensure that criminals are punished, that wrongs are made right. Equity, which we hear a lot, but it means uh, an equal distribution of the law. You can't just let the rich get away with things because they're rich. They can bribe you. They have influence. You can let them get away with things. Equity means Everyone is punished under the law. You may see that uh, lady with the blindfold and she's holding the scales. It's sort of this concept that justice is blind. doesn't matter whether you're the prime minister or the president or a poor guy on the side of the road. Everyone should get equal justice. But that's not the reality of the world. If you're poor, you're more likely to be oppressed. If you're rich, you're more likely to get away with things. And it's still the case here. And if the prince wants to rule with these three things, righteousness, justice, equity, they have to grow in knowledge. It says here that they need to know wisdom and instruction. They need to grow in understanding. They need to yield their heart to the Lord. Remember, we saw that last week. Uh, We all long for rulers who will lead us in this way, and yet we find that every ruler we get seems to be corrupt. They seem to not know these things. Ruling anything ultimately begins with ruling yourself begins with ruling yourself and when it comes to us before we can start judging those who have been placed in rulership over us we need to recognize that we need to be living a life of righteousness we need to be living a life of justice and we need to be living a life of equity before we can just start throwing out our policy uh, opinions before we can uh, recommend different legislation we need to know that we ourselves are living out these things Humanity is built for justice. We're built for justice. And all the time do you feel that when, when you've been wronged? If I came and stole your car, you want justice and you want it quickly. You want the right to be made wrong. Uh, we see it in children. I'm sure that Calvin's, uh, you know, his first word's probably going to be daddy, which, you know, we all know is going to be the case. Um, <laughs> But the first phrase you'll probably learn is, that's not fair. And those that you, you that have kids will know that that phrase gets repeated over and over and over again. And growing up with two brothers, that was probably the first thing that came out of my mouth during the day is, that's not fair because, you know, we need to have complete equity, complete justice. I mean, I didn't care when I was, I was doing well. I didn't call that for justice when it was me that was doing well. It was whenever something came out against me. We quickly learned to fight for our rights. Uh, Justice becomes a bit less of a priority when it's someone else who's being oppressed. It becomes less of a priority the more uh, kind of bits of extension you get away from it. If it's in a tribe in Africa, we're not going to be concerned with it. It's not going to show up on our media. But if it's, you know, in Cessnock, we're going to hear about it. If it's in Curry or if it's in Singleton or even in Brankston, if such a thing could happen in this area, um, some sort of injustice, we would hear about it. Proverbs 25, 26 says this, Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. We see right off the bat this 
sense that when the righteous stand back, when we do nothing, when we watch and we see things happen, we give way, we, be, we ourselves become polluted. We become like a muddied spring. You don't want to drink from that. All sorts of bacteria, all sorts of disease lies in a muddied spring. If you're out in the desert, you want to see a clean spring. If you see a polluted fountain, you don't want to water your crops with that. And you hear this phrase all the time, stand up to injustice, fight injustice. But before we even get to this, before we even talk about what justice is, we need to, we, well, we need to define what it means. We need to know what we're talking about when we talk about justice. C.S. Lewis says, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. We've got to have some idea of a straight line. We all seem to know that the world is crooked. I don't, I don't really care what view of justice you take. We all seem to have this concept that the world is crooked. And we know from Genesis, do you know why we have this? Because we're made in the image of a just God. You were made in the image of a just God and justice resides in your personality. We all feel outraged at justice and yet we don't really know what it is. Human history across all cultures has been completely to li- uh, not live this out. Uh, Proverbs 28.5 says this, uh, evil men do not understand justice. Evil men don't get it. They can't understand it. The end of it says, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. If we all have different standards of justice, whose standards do we choose? Whose view of justice prevails? The person, their view of justice is the strongest person whose opinions can be forced upon others. They're the ones that get to say what is just and what is unjust. But we know that there is an objective standard that God has given to us to what is just, what is righteous, what is true. It's been revealed to us and it's been revealed to us in God's law. It's been revealed to us in His Word. That's how you can know what justice is. God is good. He's altogether righteous. He is just. He is the one true just God that we know when all of human history wraps up. We know that God will have made right every wrong. Every prince, every father, every king, every president, prime minister needs to grow in the understanding of God if they plan to rule wisely. Proverbs 8, 15 to 16. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. It really boils down to this. Either there is an authority higher than the government, or that is all there is, the state. And the state determines what is true. The state determines what is just. And the state determines what is allowed. But we know from the word that that is not true at all. We know that every government that has ever existed across all of human history is held accountable to God. All of them held accountable to God. And that's the first point that I want you to see today, is that there is a responsibility from God given to every government. We know this, uh, you guys will know this one off by heart, probably Romans 13, 1 to 4. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says. Pay very close attention. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. 
For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Oh, very interesting phrase. Led to so much debate in the church as to what this exactly entails and means for the church. But I want you to show you in this passage, first and foremost, God institutes every governing authority. You can see that as clear as rain in this text. God institutes it and he institutes them as his servant. That's their purpose. They're there as his servant. The governing authority is God's servant. They're to serve God. Many people read um, Romans 13, and the only thing they seem to get from it is that we need to submit from the government, but they don't realize that the government needs to submit to God. That's very clear from this passage. And you may have heard of this phrase, separation of church and state. Uh, put your hand up if you've heard that phrase before, separation of church and state. Yep, you've heard it. I'm all for that phrase. Why? Not because I think that um, that the state needs to have no sense of God in it, but this. Uh, God has instituted three realms of authority. We can see from scriptures, we can see two of them in Proverbs. Um, I'll show you why the third one's not in it. The three offices of authority are this. The family is the first realm of authority we see in the text. And we can see it in uh, Proverbs, uh, the text of scripture. And then we see the church. The church is another area, realm of authority that God has instituted. And the last one, you guessed it, is the state. The state is the last one that God has instituted. To the Father, God has given the rod of discipline. To the church, he has given the keys of the kingdom. And to the civil magistrate, he has given the sword. The sword. That sounds pretty, uh, pretty gnarly, doesn't it? The family is required to nurture, protect, provide, and educate children. The church is required to teach, discipline, instruct, provide for the poor, care for the sick and needy. And the state is required to enact justice, defend with the military, and punish criminals. And neither authority can infringe on the other. Neither authority should infringe on the other. And we're not saying that the state should be separated from God when we say that the church should be separated from the state. We're saying they're different realms of authority that God has set up, but all of them are set up by God to be under God. And that is very clear from Romans 13. And so how do these three things work? I want you to think of them as kind of like a, you know those Venn diagrams where you get the circles and you squish them together? I want you to think of them as like three circles. And uh, sometimes they inter interact. I'll show you how they interact. Let's say... Um, Calvin grows up, and uh, despite my best efforts, he's a bit of a dodgy boy and gets up to no good. And then uh, he joins the church, he's a member of the church, but then he goes and uh, steals from the local store. Now, I'm his father, so he is under my authority, and I need to discipline him for what he has done. He also is a member of the church, and the church has a say in what he's done, and he's also broken the law. And so he, need, he needs to be held accountable because he's breached all three realms of authority. You see how that works? Now, not every time will he fall into, into the Venn diagram that way. Um, but you can see how, but generally speaking, we want to separate these realms of authority. But the state is especially dangerous because it's given the sword. And if you know what the sword is, the sword is used for killing. And the state is pretty good at it. They're pretty good at killing, even now. 
They're still very good at killing. It's the biggest, it's the most powerful, and it's most likely to dictate what will happen in the family. It's the most likely to dictate what's going to happen in the church. Um, no more can you see that than in, the, in China. China dictates, it, come, it comes along to the state church, and it says these things you are allowed to say. It's even got its own standardized Bible that they've translated, which is just, read it, it's pretty funny, um, if it wasn't so horrifying. And uh, they can come in and tell you what you can do in your family, they can tell you what you uh, get involved in, and it's horrible when the government gets involved like this. Um, and when the primary responsibility of government is bearing the sword, uh, we see that they're servants of God's wrath. The sword represents the military, and it represents, I guess, the police force. Back in the day, those things weren't separated. They were one thing. Uh, they were designed to maintain peace. They were designed to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic. And the problems we run into is when we give more and more authority to the state and we diminish the authorities of the other two realms. Uh, Proverbs 21.15 says this, When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. And pretty straightforward this means. You're not worried about the police kicking down your door, but if you went and robbed a bank and you've got $100,000 in your house, maybe you would be worried about it, and then the government becomes a terror to you because you've become a criminal. And the government protects us, it leads us to flourishing joy and peace when done correctly, it's responsible to God, and it's not allowed to use the sword for injustice. It's not allowed to use the sword to legislate immorality, to oppress the powerless or the poor. No dictator, king, elite bankers, democratic voters are free to impose unjust laws on a society. doesn't matter whether you're in a democracy. You cannot impose unjust laws on a society. It would be foolish for me to grab two of you and then decide that we're going to be a country and then democratically two of us decide that we're going to take all your stuff. That's unjust. We do not have that authority to do it, even if we are a so-called democracy. We have no freedom to impose unjust laws. And when a people presume to depose God, the state quickly becomes God. When the family has failed in caring and providing for children, the state becomes the parent. When the church fails to care for the poor, provide for the sick and needy, disciple the nation, educate, well, the state's going to step in there. And we see, to our sorrow... The state kind of growing into this gelatinous monster that just grows and grows and grows and swallows more and more and more. And we get a, we're, we're big trouble because the state is a fierce evangelist, especially when they've got a sword. It's a bit dangerous when they've got the force of the police and the military behind them. So that, Basically, the state's going to step in and rule whatever they can get their grubby little hands on. It's going to lead me to point two. We see in Proverbs the violation and injustice of a government. Uh, Proverbs 25.5. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Proverbs 28.15-16. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Have you ever heard the phrase roaring lion before? Who goes around like that? The devil. Whoa. Interesting where those two phrases are kind of been brought to bear on the state and one of them is brought to bear on Satan. 
Uh, but we get this other one, a charging bear. Now, if you, um, none of us have ever, I mean, some of you guys may have had the privilege of seeing a roaring lion or have a bear charge you. I imagine none of us really have. But those, they'll devour whatever they can get their hands on. They'll eat as much as they can. They will unjustly, the government will unjustly strip away your freedom, your money, your prosperity, your progeny. Um, look at a couple of these. Uh, Proverbs 13.23 says, The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. You see that the rulers kind of squash the productivity of the poor. Uh, they keep them down. They don't allow them to come up. Uh, Proverbs 29.4 says this, By justice a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. Well, that phrase, exacts gifts, is referring to uh, this kind of regular requirement of tribute, uh, a requirement of taxes, basically. You had to give to the king um, gifts. And a wicked king will heavily tax his people into poverty and tear down their own country. We see in our first Samuel, the prophet Samuel comes before Israel. Israel doesn't have a king at this point. And he warns the people because they want a king. And he says, if you get a king, they're going to tax you unjustly. And can you guess how much Samuel considered to be an unjust tax? A tenth. First Samuel 8, uh, 15 to 17. It says, he will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards, and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slave. Oh, man, most of us here would love to only be taxed a tenth, eh? We'd love that. And it's considered outrageous that the king would require a tenth. Do you know why? Do you know who requires a tenth? God. The king comes by, and what does he want? what is due to God. He wants a tenth as well. He wants to get in it. It says here that you will become his slave. He will own you. Guess what the people of Israel wanted? They wanted the king. You know why? Security. Because a king would fight for him. A king would keep him safe in a very uncertain world. And they were happy to trade their freedom for a king. Proverbs 29.2 when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Do you know that phrase, groan? Same phrase that's used to refer to the Israelites under slavery in Egypt, crying out to God for freedom. God sets the standard for justice. We don't. And when we forget that all ruling authority comes from God, well, we can put ourselves in serious danger. And if human history has anything to teach us, is that the biggest thing you should be afraid of is a government. The most likely thing that will kill you is the government, especially in the 20th century. When the wicked rule, the people groan, the same language used, as I said, in Israel. And our current modern rulers are required to rule in justice and equity and righteousness, just like any king was before. Our Australian government doesn't get a free pass on this. It's just the same. It doesn't matter whether you live under a dictator, a monarchy, a democratic republic, or a one-party system. Every ruler is required to obey God and serve him. And it leads me to my third point. The redeeming of the government. The redeeming of the government. Proverbs 29, 12. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Do you know what's got us into this trouble? 
falsehood, lies, deceit. The first place we must start is truth. We need to find truth. We need to find what is true. We need to find what is just again, because we have no idea anymore. And a nation ruled by God's word will find itself moved into the paths of justice. And this is a unique position of the church. Proverbs 29, 18, you guys will love this one. Uh, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. It's a classic verse that church will pull and be like, yeah, our vision, you know, we need, we need to push forward our vision. You know, 20 churches by 2020. I wonder how that worked out for so many churches that used to say that. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about the vision that we want to cast. In context, if there's no prophets of God speaking God's word to the people, it says they cast off restraint. They cast off restraint. The natural trend of humanity is towards sin, not towards God. Someone needs to be calling the people to God. Someone needs to herald to the people about God. When the church, who we see from Jesus, had been given the keys to the kingdom of God, fails to declare the words of God, the people cast off restraint. Our hope is not simply in reforming the government, but in redeeming it. Our hope ultimately can never be in the state. And I think what has put us into a lot of trouble is putting our hope in the state. When um, back in ancient Rome, uh, guys would roll into towns and they were, called, um, they were called evangelists. And they would come in bringing the good news of Caesar. Caesar Augustus, Caesar Claudius, Caesar Tiberius, whatever emperor was on the throne at the time and they would say there is no other name given to man among uh, under heaven given among men by which you can be saved that sounds very similar to something else we hear don't we what we see in the book of acts there is no other name other than jesus jesus is the one true king the government loves saying we're the ones that are going to save you we're the ones that are going to keep you safe Be quiet, give us money, give us power, and we'll leave you alone. Our hope is not in the state, because the state can never execute perfect justice. Our ultimate hope is in God. Proverbs 29, 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. True justice comes from God. All the sin, suffering, injustice, oppression, genocide, destruction, all will be judged by this perfect judge, God himself. Only the Lord gives justice. And we all do well to remember that because God is our ultimate hope for justice. If you put your hope in the state to give you this perfect justice, you will find it lacking. The church has not been given the sword. We don't punish criminals. You're not going to head around the back and there's like some prison cells and we've thrown some people in. Uh, when the church has borne the sword, it hasn't gone well for us. If you think of the Spanish Inquisition or the Crusades, it's, it's not gone well. We haven't been given the sword, we've been given the keys to the kingdom, to disciple the nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church is the disciple, the discipling power over the state. We disciple the state. We must speak up when the government passes laws that are outside of God's justice. Jesus calls his followers salt and light. Salt preserves. 
light exposes. We preserve the nation in justice and righteousness by exposing injustice wherever it resides. Uh, Ephesians 5.11, you remember this from our Ephesians series, it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We expose injustice and immorality in this world. We call the world back to covenant faithfulness in God. We call the world back to faith in God. And the gospel teaches us that we're all sinners, so don't get this wrong. We are not any better than anyone else. We know that, right? We're not any better. We're not, call, we're not exposing things because we think we're great. We're exposing things because we seek God's kingdom here on earth. Proverbs 14.33 Wisdom resides in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. If I had to use a word to describe the Australian church for at least the six or seven years that I've seen it, it's probably quiet, very quiet, very peaceful. We stick to ourselves, but we can't stay quiet. We can't stay quiet forever. Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I leave you with this. We see that Jesus is king over all. Isaiah 9.6, classic Christmas passage, talks about Jesus, the son that was given, that the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and rules the entire world with peace and justice right now. There's not a single square inch that you can think of. There's not a single atom in this universe. There's not a single person that exists outside of Jesus' rule. He claims it all. It is all His. He won it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. And we might not live to see Jesus' kingdom, but God taught us to pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we seeking that? Are we praying that? God will redeem the government according to His will. He will raise up leaders. He will reinvigorate His church and He will sound the alarm. And it is a wonderful thing if He uses us. It's a wonderful thing. To see justice done, well, how does this apply to us? We've kind of been operating in the abstract a little bit, talking about a whole bunch of things, but we're in a position of very small influence, aren't we? We're in a very small area of Australia. We're kind of um, pretty far away from a lot of things. But we have a great God. Why can't this area become a Christian city? Do you know what John Knox used to pray? He was a great reformer of Scotland. He used to say, Lord, will you not give me Scotland? The man would not ask that if it was not God's to give. God ruled Scotland and amazing things happened in that Reformation period. And that man did many great things. Good biography to read if you ever get a chance. Wherever you are, Whatever you do, pray earnestly that you will live out God's will. As the church, we have this unique role to herald the gospel of Jesus as we put down our roots 
disciple our children, herald the gospel to our neighbours and work colleagues and see the lost saved. We're small here in Brankston, but Jesus told a parable of a mustard seed that was tiny. He said, if you had faith like this mustard seed, that would grow up to this enormous tree. Do you know what a mustard seed grows into? A little mustard bush. It's not very big. But Jesus says that this bush, this seed that doesn't even grow into anything impressive, by all standards isn't impressive, all of a sudden grows into this enormous tree that bears much fruit, that the uh, birds come and nest in it. It's this impressive tree. How did that grow from a mustard seed? That's what the kingdom of God is like. It seems unimpressive. And if you don't believe me, kind of look around for a minute. Pretty unimpressive, right? You wouldn't want to go to war with these people. (laughs) But yet God has given these people to us. If you're parents, we want to partner with you to disciple your children. We want to disciple them well so that they love the Lord and that they bring this fight into the next generation. If you are working, we want to help you learn how to share the gospel. We want to help you learn how to start a small business, to buy a house, to create media, to enter politics. We want to start a new work in this area. We need people to be committed. It's a very transient area, but we need people to put down their roots. And some of you guys have done that. We want to start a new work in this area so that we can see God turn barren soil into a large harvest. And I can't do it. I would not be able to do it. You can't do it, but together and through the might of God, maybe we can. We need a strong counterculture that brings something different to the table. And I want you to prayerfully consider how you can contribute to God's kingdom expanding out there. Out there. Isaiah 42. This is, I'll just leave you with this. Then the band's going to come up. Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. This is speaking about Jesus. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. He's establishing justice on earth right now. Let's pray. Father, you call us to more than what this world has for us. You call us to more than simply just starting a family, retiring, and then dying. You call us to start a kingdom work in this area. Lord, this place has been hard to the gospel. They've been resistant to the gospel. And Lord, in your anger, you have poured out your wrath. But Lord, we pray that you would relent and once again show your mercy and forgiveness and save people. Lord, would you pour out your spirit among our church? Would you pour out your spirit on us as we seek to disciple our children, as we seek seek to disciple each other? to reach people in this area and to see this place and this church grow anti-fragile so that it will not crumble under the weight of the world but stand up firm as we build this on the rock that is you, Jesus. 
Lord, we don't want to go back to the ways that many other churches have gone, where they've crumbled, they've fallen apart, where they have not stood firm, where they have not loved you well. Help us, Lord. We know it's your work. In Jesus' name, amen.